This is a HeadGum Podcast. In 86, Anna Martin wrote the first book of what became a cult. Now it's time for Babysitter's Club. Tanner. Jack. Welcome back. Uh, yep. Uh, pl- uh, pleased to be back. I'm pleased to have Excited to be here. Have you back. I'm pleased to be here. Um, I'm Thank del- you for having me. Delighted that we've finally started to stop getting real and start getting polite. <laughs> <laughs> That's the opposite of the thing. <laughs> I know. I see what you're doing. Yeah, it's nice. I like it. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm pleased to hear that. How are you? I'm very well as well. Thank you. Oh, delightful. How lovely. Should we record our podcast that we do every week? Yeah. Hi, hi. you want to just maintain it? You want to keep doing pleasantries? Well, I actually was really enjoying it, but apparently we're done being polite and we started getting real, so that's How's fine. the missus? <laughs> the, the missus is well, thank you. <laughs> um, you'll hear my child probably screaming in the background. He loves screaming, that little boy of yours. Yeah. Yeah, there, there he goes. <laughs> <laughs> Is he okay? Uh, I think that's a scream of delight. They're just glee screams. Yeah, it's just he yeah, just really he's, he belts them out, huh? He loves it when his daddy's recording his podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he loves that his daddy has put so much work into soundproofing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the corner like, that he records in. You spent how much on those mics? <laughs> Wait, will they pick up if I scream at the top of my lungs in the adjacent room? They're not supposed room? to. <laughs> but somehow you're beating the odds. Hi, hi, and welcome to the Babysitter's Club. 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 You, what happened? You roboted out for a second. Okay. Your hi, hi was too big. Okay. <laughs> it really Your hi, hi was too big for FaceTime. Uh, <laughs> too big for FaceTime. <laughs> There are a bunch of Apple engineers right now just pulling their headphones off and reeling back from their computers like, what just happened? Did you just feel that? <laughs> Servers are like blowing up at Apple. <laughs> Let's try it a little more subdued. And then maybe I can hit that club with you. Yeah, I would like that very much. Hi, hi. And welcome to the baby. Mm, there's the baby. <laughs> Hi, hi, and welcome to the Babysitter's Club. 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 Perfect. I'm your host, Jack Shepard. And I, Tanner Greenring. And I, Jack Shepard, discuss every week the classic novels of The Hand That Shakes. The Princess of the Prince of Towns, St. Annabelle Matthews Martin, Stormborn Soul Skinner, Mother of Clocks, and Bane to Bats, first of her name, Last of her kind, last hope for humankind. That is what this podcast is about in general. Specifically, this week, we're going to be talking about a little book called Don't Give Up, Mallory. Don't Give Up, Mallory. No exclamation point. We had Mind Your Own Business, Christy, last week with a exclamation point. This week, we have Don't Give Up, Mallory. Oh, is there no exclamation point? It's not exactly a vote of confidence in Mallory. Don't give up, Mallory. Do whatever you can, Mallory. <laughs> Try your best, Mal. No one's expecting much from you, but just do what you can. We're expecting you to give up, Mallory, <laughs> but don't. We're not going to be surprised when you give up, but we hope you don't. Yeah. 
And she doesn't, Jack. She doesn't. Mallory single-handedly dismantles the patriarchal regime. The patriarchal regime, yeah. She, she Toxic masculinity? Not anymore. Not anymore. Now it's, now it's toxic mal-sculinity. Yep, that's great. Because <laughs> Mal's in charge. Speaking of toxic masculinity, should I go into the next room and tell my wife to tell my baby to shut up? <laughs> yeah. When we were setting up Baby Nation, I was um, mocking Cyril on the uh, microphone. I was saying, wah, wah. Yeah, and he's my taking it to Cyril. heart. Yeah. But Jack didn't. I don't. Did you tell him that I was mocking him? He Does knows. he know? He knows. Yeah. He looks up to his Uncle Tanner. And, no, uh, I think just let him scream. Baby Nation, we have a third co-host this week. It's Cyril Shepard, and he's going to be screaming in the background. <laughs> There's just nothing we could do about it. Baby Nation, good news. Our audio troubles from a couple weeks ago are, it looks like, in the past. <laughs> Bad news. But <laughs> There's a lot of random screaming. <laughs> That's fine. Um Tanner, this book was a real strike against the patriarchy. Sure was. I loved it. I loved That's that. a segment, technically. Yeah. Do you want to get into it? Oh, sure. I will briefly describe the situation yeah. without describing the novel. Okay. It starts when a new teacher comes in to do a hot taste class. His name is Mr. Cobb, and he's the worst. He's a sports boy. He's a sports boy, and he's like a mansplainer, and he's like, you know that famous Twitter guy from your MFA class? Yeah. He's that. He's, he's that. just full of himself. I have an example here. Yeah. This was going to be great. I patted my notebook as he strolled down the aisle. Over the weekend, I'd bought a brand new forest green ring binder, especially for this class. My pencils were sharpened, and I'd even stocked up on two new pens. I was ready to work. Mr. Cobb paused by my desk and stared down at my notebook. Everyone in the room had turned in their seats, and they were looking at us. Mr. Cobb pointed to my notebook. Put that away, he said. I blinked up at him. Put what away, I asked. Uh, that notebook? (laughs) He waved his hands over my supplies. Those pens? That paper? You won't need them. I could feel my cheeks starting to heat up. I tucked a strand of hair behind one ear and said, but I don't understand. I, I thought we'd be writing lots of paper. <laughs> Wrong. He spun dramatically. We will be doing a lot of thinking. This course is a meeting of minds. Does it say he spun dramatically? Yeah. He's just like, he's like put down the notebook and then just lifts his feet Pure up away. and spins around in his <laughs> swivel chair. <laughs> This guy's he's just such a dickhead. And Mr. then he Cobb. only calls on all the boys. And then he only calls on all the boys and he yeah. interrupts every girl who raises their hands. Yeah. And Well, so that is enough context from my strike against the patriarchy this week, Tanner. Um and the only thing that I would add to that is it is also my <gasps> <gasps> Wow. Before the 10-minute mark? Are we sure? It was a burn light week this week, Baby Nation. <laughs> I think my burn will clearly reveal that it was a burn light week, Baby Nation. <laughs> um, but it is at the end of the novel when, despite the fact that Mr. 
Cobb only calls on all the boys. Mal manages to prevail. The following thing happens. I've graded your report, Mr. Cobb announced as he placed folders on each of our desks and written your grade for the whole course on the inside cover of your folder. Is it too late for a bribe? Benny Ott cracked. It's never too late, Mr. Cobb quipped. But I don't know if a bribe would help you, Benny. How about me, coach? Chris Brooks asked. Mr. Cobb shook his head dramatically. I'm afraid you're a lost cause, pal. (laughs) For all their confidence and speaking up in class, the sports boys lose in the end. Yeah, they were pretty dumb, though, too. Yeah, they were dumb. They had dumb takes on Charlotte's Web. These boys were full of the dumbest takes on Charlotte's Web, (laughs) where the wild things are. And good night, Moon. The hot takes class was on children's literature. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's actually called the short takes class. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Short takes, not hot takes. So. <laughs> um, my here's my burn. <laughs> okay. It was Baby Nation. I, I will defend week. Tanner proactively here. It is a very burn line week, and you're going to discover why soon. I want you to guess when I'm done who my burn is on. Okay. Christy raised an eyebrow. Good humming, you two, but we need something a little perkier for our marching band song. Okay. Lenny lowered his kazoo and sang, Be kind to your web-footed friends, for a duck may be somebody's mother. Abby snapped her fingers. John Philip Sousa, right? Lenny gave her a confused look. It's Raffi. <laughs> Is it a bird on John Philip Sousa? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, John. Everyone uh, recognizes your songs as Raffy songs in 1997. Trust the entity this week to be like, we don't have a lot of room for Burns, but we'll put one in and it's going to be on American composer John Philip Sousa. <laughs> <laughs> Godfather of the American marching band. <laughs> and uh, what's an anti-burn called? Because Raffi's getting some free publicity this week. Compliment. Yeah. Compliment of the week this week? Raffi. Raffi. For your song about ducks. <laughs> Good duck song. Tanner, uh, let's describe this novel. Um, okay. Okay. I feel like we've already done a lot of good work at Baby Nation. You know that there's this dickhead teacher, and you know that they're doing a marching band with kazoos where they sing Raffi. Yeah. But we still need to do it, huh? Is that all the material you had prepared? (laughs) Uh, uh, Frantically flips through his notes. (laughs) No, I've got bread. I've got bees. (laughs) Yeah, I've got bees. Uh, I got dinos. Um. I'll say something about The Entity. Baby Nation, this is a book that was written by The Entity, formerly known as Jonna Beecham and Malcolm Hillgardner, now known as Jonna and Malcolm. The fly-like combination of two souls. Combined as one after the mortification of their flesh and the death of their mortal bodies. Yep. Here's my trajectory in this book. Um, And Entity, if you're listening, I'd like for you to stick around to the end of this sentence. You won't be disappointed. At first, I was like, first paragraph of this book. I think I texted you this. I was like, ooh, we just had 10 peep books in a row. This is not a peep book. This is a fucking Entity book. And I know because there there are no jokes. Yeah, Pete had a good run. Yeah. And you could feel it. Yeah. I felt the absence of Pete. 
Well, Jesus, your baby's just, just like going to town. Fucking going <laughs> after it. Can you put him in like a closet or something? <laughs> Maybe he is in a closet. Maybe that's what the problem is. <laughs> can you throw him in the backyard? Or <laughs> yeah, we're gonna get a zip line. I can just tie him to a zip line and put him <laughs> in the backyard. Um, but at first, I was like, "Oh, this is the entity. It's dry. It's academic." Uh, the chapter two is just by the fucking numbers. Yeah, they get like, facts I'm wrong. Mallory. But as the book progressed, I grew to appreciate it. I liked the message. I loved the message. It's a strong message about how girls and boys don't necessarily behave the same way in class and people who are nervous to raise their hands or who don't react well when they're getting talked over need to be accommodated in a good classroom. Yeah. Um, it's got a fucking parade as a B plot. There's this like weird C plot about the missing student lounge and financial crimes oh, yeah. and misdemeanors. That's good. Yeah. It was a little bit like a, a thriller. They really went for it. I think that I was being unfair to them. I'm just used to Pete's style. And I was like, oh, this ain't Pete. I don't like it. And I wasn't giving them a chance. They were doing something different. Yeah. And what they did was good. I mean, I guess Pete doesn't really handle heavy subjects, does he? Who who did the book when um, What's-Her-Face died? Amelia Freeman. Yeah. Of course that's the entity, because they're obsessed with death. Yeah, it's really all them. They do the heavy ones. Well, this is the thing about the entity, and we've talked about it before. Because of what they have gone through, right. because they have suffered the death of their own bodies and the death of their own selves as a unique being and transcended this physical and spiritual plane into something else, they're obsessed with death. They're obsessed with these moments of transition between this world and the next. Yeah. That's why they wrote about the death of Amelia Freeman, and I think you may have noticed, they brought up Amelia Freeman for the first time since it happened. Well, and it's all tied in with this missing library lounge and how the school is misappropriating funds from the annual sixth grade fundraisers. It was Thursday morning just before school. I'd talked to the other officers, and we'd agreed to meet before class in the memory garden. I love that place. It's a beautiful little garden with a bench and a plaque in memory of an eighth grader, Amelia Freeman, who was killed by a drunk driver. First mention of Amelia Freeman since Marianne in the memory garden. That's not... That's the babysitters don't remember Amelia. They've moved on. No, they've moved on. But the entity hasn't. That's what drives them and they just can't let it go this is where they want to dwell is in this death they need to revisit the scene of their crime though i don't imagine they see it as a crime i feel like the entity aspires to greatness yeah and by greatness i mean pete and they like keep their own character bible and it's not as good as pete's and it's not as robust it's just all the characters who have died but like they have it and they like it and they want to like refer back to it constantly their character bible is just Mimi, written like a thousand times, and then Christie's dog, Louie, Louie, written a thousand times, and now Amelia Freeman, just written in blood. It's Mimi, Louie, and every other non-BSC-related human being who died in that time period. Oh, yeah. It's a really big book. It's like millions of names. Yeah, I imagine they just submitted a manuscript that's just those names at first, and the scholastic lawyers were like, I don't know if that's going to (laughs) play with our audience. It's every person who's passed over since the last time we read a book. (laughs) They're here in our pleasure garden now. The thing I was saying, though, is that Pete is great, obviously, but the thing that the entity can do, an entity, I know you're listening, and I hope 
that you're pleased to hear me complimenting you rather than insulting you for once. And we appreciate having you here, Entity. Yeah. Don't uh, put my name in your book. <laughs> <laughs> don't, yeah. No, now that we understand you, yeah, we appreciate you. The thing that they're so good at doing is tackling these tough subjects like internalized misogyny and dismantling the patriarchy and these darker aspects of humanity. But this plays in, this. what they are obsessed with are these liminal transitional states that require a death, right? This week, they didn't kill a character off. I imagine they pleaded with the scholastic lawyers and Anne to do it and weren't allowed to, but they instead marked the death of the patriarchy. Did you do a close read? Do you are you sure no characters died? I didn't do a close read. There may have been somebody who died, just kind of in like the in the background. I bet they kill one of those kids in the parade. That's why would you have a parade? There's a random parade. There are tons of people marching. Everybody's chaotically moving in directions. Yeah, do they even say what the parade is for? I think it's Memorial Day. <gasps> Maybe it's the Black Parade. Tanner, it's a Memorial Day parade, remembering the dead. The dead. Oh, right. Dead soldiers? Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> a fun vein you found. Let's, but Tanner, let's the take entity... our little comedy pickaxe and really uh, start hacking away at this vein you found. Great. Uh, do I have to spell it out for you, Tanner? We were wondering why the entity didn't kill anyone. They wrote a book about a parade for the dead. That's true. Yeah, that is true. That's how they snuck it in. That's how they snuck it in. They they handed in this manuscript that was just millions of names, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and the scholastic lawyers are just like, "This is morbid," but like, <laughs> maybe you could do something about like remembering all these people. They were and like, "Like, do you throw parades for death?" <laughs> On our plane, we have daily parades for death. And in this classic lawyers were like, do you mean we have like Memorial Day? We have we have a, sometimes have parades like to honor the dead. And they're like, a parade for death. Yes. Yes, we can work with that. Memorial Day. <laughs> um, Tanner, should we describe this novel? Um, yep. I can't I, believe we haven't yet. I, <laughs> I can't either. But we've been talking about it. And I'm that's that's why I've kind of let this run. What about if. I describe the novel, and then you describe the novel. Fine. I'm not going to fight it this week. Great. I love that. Well, without further ado, in that case, I'm just going to begin. You don't know what to do with yourself when I don't fight it. No, I just said I'm going to begin. You're like lost in the weeds over there. No, I'm ready to begin. I just need you to stop talking. I just watched you like flip forward four pages in your notes. Like, uh (laughs) uh-oh. All this material I had on getting Tanner back on track. Yeah. I have a whole page that's called Misdirection. (laughs) Um, Why don't you begin? I will. In the provincial town of Stony Brook, Connecticut, there's a parade for everything. People have babies? They throw a baby parade. New winner in the beauty pageant? That calls for a parade. Some kind of holiday coming up? You know there's going to be a holiday parade. But when Mallory Pike dares to look past her town's strange and unnatural tendency to celebrate itself, what she finds beneath the surface is a parade of corruption, sexism, and deep systemic unfairness. And the only march Mallory's interested in participating in is the relentless march of justice. Don't give up, Mallory. 
Woo, Jack. Yeah. Do you liked it? Tour de force. Loved it. Don't give up, Mallory. That's a thing you said. I like to say it. Yeah. Yeah. I loved it when you said that. I like the punctuation. Don't give up, Mallory. Don't give up. It's just like, it's so half-hearted. It's like, we know you're going to. Tanner, what about you describe the book? You want me to do it now. I want you to take a run at it. There's a lot going on in this novel, but I'd like, if you can, for you to constrain your remarks to the arbitrary time of 60 seconds. At your leisure. All right, I'm going to put 60 seconds on this big bad clock that I happen to have handy. During those 60 seconds, I would like for you to describe every single thing that happens in this novel. Don't give up. Mallory. Mallory. I'm going to start the timer now. Okay, Baby Nation, we mentioned the Memorial Day Parade. That's plot B, but we're going to go ahead and take care of that now. Buddy Barrett was jealous that he didn't get to march in the, the parade with like his sister, who's in Brownies. So he said that he had a marching band called the Buddy Barrett Marching Band. The Babysitter's Club form a marching band with all the kids in school uh, in town to make Buddy's dreams a reality. Uh, a plot is that Mal is in a hot takes class where they talk about children's literature she has this teacher called mr cobb who is a dickhead we already talked about him he refuses to call on girls and lets the boys kind of run roughshod over the class uh mal it's a participation grade because he's like a cool like um what's the name of that robin williams movie wow that's a this is a bad time to get into that 10 no Nine. tell me pat Adams. pat no the one oh, captain my captain depot society he's like Five. that uh, Four, and then she confronts him three, and says, you're a dick. And he's like, oh, you're right. You get an A. Uh, B plus. And time. And it, it ruined her A streak. She got a B plus. B plus is what I give you on that description. It was going so Thank well. You. And then That's you wanted good. to know the name of Dead Poet Society. And Dead Poet Society. Really could have gone without that. But Yeah. He wanted it to be like a, everyone standing on their desks, kind of like. Oh, Captain, my captain. Yeah. He figured it out. He figured it out, and he was making changes. Mal, I don't want to give too much credit to Mr. Cobb here, because I'm not a fan, but Mal did something really brave. She went and talked to him, Yep. and she was like, hey, I don't know if you've noticed, but you call on all the boys, and you let the boys just talk without having their hands raised. Yeah. And you don't call on the girls, and when you do, yeah, you don't give them enough time to formulate their thoughts. And he got... Real fucking defensive. Right. But he was like, that's not true. And also, if I tell you to smile, it's a compliment. <laughs> I don't know why you're getting so upset. Yeah, exactly. Can you uh, just slow down for a second? You're being really shrill right now. <laughs> oh, mansplaining? You don't know what that is? Well, it's kind of this uh, new feminist theory that a lot of people are talking about. <laughs> uh, you know, I really consider myself an ally. <laughs> Good. Um, so I don't want to give him too much credit, but I will give him the credit that he took that to heart. And at the end of the book, he changed his ways. Yeah, but it's a deeper issue than just Mr. Cobb. Mr. Cobb is, he's the driving force behind this problem and everyone's sort of like awareness of this problem this week. And yeah. Mal does confront him, but there's this bigger thing happening, which is like the boys are all given a lot of leeway at SMS. And this is not the first time this has happened. As we know, right. Stacy and Robert once took on sort of like the, the power systems at SMS too. Great reference. Yeah. Stacy and the cheerleaders. But she's also got this friend, Sandra. Sandra, yeah. Who's dealing with a lot of internalized misogyny this week as well. Yeah. 
She's afraid to say anything in front of the class president, Justin, because she doesn't want to look like a dork. She's always calling Mal out for looking like a brain and a dweeb. She just wants to fit in. She wants to be cool. Um, so they're doing uh, the fundraiser, the sixth grade fundraiser, which is a whole like other plot. It's the C plot. Um, and some cool boys come by, including Trevor Sanborn. Oh, and boy. Trevor's being weirdly flirty with Sandra. Good reappearance of Trevor Sanborn, though. Uh, the yeah. entity confirmed for us this week that Trevor Sanborn is the handsomest boy at SMS. Something that we learned early on. First couple books. I feel like uh, Claudia maybe had a big old crush on Trevor Sanborn. Right. Uh, it was nice to see him back. Anyways, carry on. Uh, Sandra checked first to make sure no one was looking. Then she collapsed into her chair. My shoes are killing me. She was wearing shoes with clunky two-inch heels. No wonder, I said. You should have worn sneakers. Sandra slipped off her shoe and rubbed her foot. I always wear heels. They make me look more feminine. Why do you need to be more feminine? I asked. Sandra shrugged. Guys don't like girls who are jocks. You know, Sandra, you're really smart and you're cute. You shouldn't worry so much about what other people think about you. And you told me that you don't like to contradict Chris Brooks and Robbie Mara's point of view because you don't want them to think you're pushy. Did I say that? Now she looked really surprised. I think I remember you speaking up more in class, I said slowly, and in life. I mean, that's why our class elected you vice president. I paused for a long time and then asked, did something happen? Sandra raised her eyes to look at me. All trace of the perky mask was gone. Her green eyes looked tired and sad. Ever since I became a class officer, I'm always in the spotlight, she murmured. I feel like the girls and boys in the school are always watching me, waiting for me to slip up. This is the life that the girls at SMS has to live with. Yeah. Under the constant scrutiny of the Mr. Cobbs and Trevor Sanborns of the world. Well, Trevor Sanborn, may I remind you, Tanner, just to play devil's advocate here, Trevor Sanborn has dark, brooding eyes. Yeah. So oh, he sounds and what does what color hair? I think he has brown swoopy hair. Oh, that's he sounds like a fucking dreamboat. He's a dreamboat. I it's it seems like there's more or less a consensus that he is the handsomest boy at SMS. I would stop at nothing to impress that boy. Yeah, same. And I am uh I'm living comfortably within yeah. the patriarchy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You and me both, brother. <laughs> Preach. So I don't know I don't quite know what message we're sending here. Um, but I think we said it. I think we said the thing we wanted to say. The thing that Mal does is dismantles this entire fucking system this yeah. week. And she's done it before. Mallory's on strike. She does it from the outside and the inside. Yeah. She cuts the head off the snake with Mr. Cobb. She goes right to him and she's like, fuck you, the man. Yeah. And he's like looming before her and he's like, no man can kill me. Yeah. And then she whips off her helmet. Yeah. And she says, I am no man, and lifts up the sword and stabs him. Oh, that's so fucking good, and he's so surprised. Yeah, he's so surprised. And then he just kind of, like, crumples. Was that in this book? I think so. I've read that somewhere. Yeah, I think it was must have been in this book, because that immediately conjured up an image for me. Right. It's this girl who's, like, super into horses, right? Yeah. Yep. Her and her family. Yep. No, that was this one. And then she's dismantling it from the inside, too. Yeah. By, like, finding all these young women who are suffering under this yoke of oppression and being like, hey, throw off, throw it off. Let the scales fall from your eyes. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff, the entity. Good, good stuff, stuff good book. Yeah. You know what else is good? What? Taking a break. Okay. Bye. Okay. Well, okay. I guess that's what's happened. Bye. 
This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hmm. What would I do with an extra hour in my day? Very interesting question, BetterHelp. Hello, everyone. This is Evil Tanner. I'm like regular Tanner, except evil. Our sponsor, BetterHelp, has put a little prompt here in the copy for us. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? My own website, which only exists on the dark web, of course, uh, wetterhelp.com, could use a little help. So I would probably use that hour to do a whole bunch, like just flood Facebook with one like, one prayer. Please go donate to my GoFundMe. I need to bring my website, wetterhelp.com, back from the brink. Betterhelp.com, they feel like there's a little bit of uh, infringement. I said, well, you know, we're on the dark web. You guys are on the surface web. Our whole thing is like, getting people wet who don't want to be wet so it's like stepping in a puddle or like sitting on a bench that's wet that's us like that's what we do share this with a friend one like one prayer i will follow through on the like prayer stuff too i will be praying all night i would use today's sponsor betterhelp.com um of course i can't i an evil tanner i can only use the deep web we do have a deep web version of betterhelp.com um it's called worsehelp.com it's not good but i think betterhelp.com is great from everything i've heard convenient flexible suited to your schedule just fill out a brief questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist you can switch at any time no additional charge uh go check it out learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. visit betterhelp.com slash bedfellows to get 10 percent off your first month that's betterhelp h-e-l-p.com slash bedfellows see you there well not me but have fun Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Let's see. I want to dive into a few parts of the text. So this is a text, and this is something that the entity does. They are... Oh, what's happening? What were you saying? I was going to say something, and you were singing over me. I didn't sing. Okay. This is something that the entity does. They are Shakespearean... Okay, now you're doing it again. It's a X... It sounds kind of X-Files-y. Brett Theory. <laughs> I didn't know we had a segment for bread theory. I like studying, and I like earning good grades. Yeah. I just don't necessarily like the whole school to know about it. But boy, does word travel fast. Jesse and I were on our way to second period English when non-white oh. and Rachel Robinson shouted, there she is, Mallory Pike, Miss Know-It-All. Non-white. Non-white makes another appearance in the BSC universe. Two types of bread, baby nation. Two types of bread. Non and white. 
the progenitor, the the <laughs> the source of the Nile. The source. Yeah. Okay, well Tanner She's back and she's talking about knowing it all. Knowing Jack. It. <laughs> that is a pretty good point. <laughs> knowing it all. Another piece of the puzzle falls into place. Yep. Um is there can you explain briefly for the new baby bees and Oh, I really shouldn't. New baby bees, we're not going to explain to you wh- I really shouldn't. why you're baby bees, but we are hopefully going to explain to you what bread theory is. I can't reveal a lot. Baby Nation, because it is dangerous. Yeah. Frankly. But I will say that, and I hope I don't get in trouble for this, it's bread all the way down. It's all bread. It's all bread. Right? Well, and uh-huh. so I'm kind of a skeptic. I'm the um, scully, scully to your molder here. You're kind of scully to my smoking, man. Okay, fine. I'm scully. I'm on the inside. I'm scully to your smoking. Oh, I see. I didn't realize yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. Well, can I ask you one question, Smoking Man? Yes, please. Is it bread just like some of the way down, like just kind of superficially? You might think so. Yeah. Because Anne and the ghostwriters and the scholastic lawyers only give you little tastes. Yeah. Scratch the surface. So you're like, oh, this is just bread some of the way down. Yeah. But that's not the case. Right. What is the case? Jack, I can tell you now and don't. Please cut this from the episode because I don't want to get in trouble. Okay. It's bread all the way. Fuck. Wow. Okay. I feel like we've already spent too much time talking about this. We're now like getting some unwanted attention, and I think we should move away from this as fast. Let me ask you one more thing, smoking man. Yeah. (laughs) Can you give me any insight into this passage? Please. All right, buddy, Abby said, giving him a high five. This band is ready to tour. When everyone had received their kazoos, they began playing. Imagine seven kids humming seven different tunes. Chrissy covered her ears to shut out the buzzing. They sound like a squadron of insects. It's the attack of the killer bees. Abby giggled. I think you're mistaking me for the bee theory smoking man. (laughs) Oh, there's a different one. I'm the bread theory smoking man. (laughs) The two things are unconnected. Yeah. In your mind. Yeah, no, they're competing theories. (laughs) It's one or the other. (laughs) Take your stand now, baby nation. (laughs) Okay, so we've learned... Do you believe in bread or do you believe in bees? What, do you think that's what burn or bees is? Burn is just like bake the bread. I have a very um, elementary question, and it's going to make me sound stupid, and I'm just going to ask it anyway. Okay. Because Mal's given me the confidence. Yep. To not be afraid of looking stupid. Ask. Okay, fine. I feel like you've had that confidence. Are bees? (laughs) I already like where this is going. (laughs) Are bees like spiders in that they're not technically insects? No. No, I think they're insects. Okay. You know how spiders aren't insects? I'm going to Google it. Apparently. People say spiders aren't insects. They're arachnids. And, like, scorpions aren't insects? I thought maybe bees belong to a special... All right, so I'm Googling it now, and to the credit of humanity, most of the Google auto-suggests are like, are bees endangered? Are bees going extinct? But if you go down, somebody also wants to know, are bees insects? (laughs) (laughs) And yes, they are. I feel like it's just one of those tricky things where it's like, some fruits are apparently vegetables, and some vegetables are apparently fruits, and some... Insects are apparently arachnids, and some arachnids are apparently insects. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Bees are insects, and it's all bred all the way down. But these girls are bees. That's all we know. That's all we have time for today. 
girls are bees. It's all bread. Yeah. Competing theories. Take your stand. Yeah, it's one. So, well, this is new. Thank you for revealing that. Baby Nation, it's one or the other. Yeah. You can't believe both. You can't believe bread both. theory and, and bee theory. God, if we were competent and had merch and a store where you could buy either a bee theory or a bread theory shirt to show your support for one theory or the other, that would just be great, wouldn't it, Jack? It would be great. And <laughs> maybe there's going to be a disclaimer at the front of this episode saying that we do have that but who knows <laughs> who knows um tanner we've talked about the entity and we've talked about their interest in literary criticism and we've also talked about their interest in death and those two things came together in an interesting way this week um did you catch the passage where they were talking about maury sendak's book where the wild things are it's cobb is doing one of his analyses on it yep i did there are a few things that are interesting about that. This is we get an insight into Mallory's view of literary criticism, which has always been very rigid, very deconstructionist, very new critical. Uh, yeah, she is twelve, so I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that that's what her attitude has been. You remember that book where she was like, "You can't write anything unless you've experienced it." Oh yeah, you can only write the truth. But so this week they have an argument where Mr. Cobb asked the boys where they think the wild things live. Oh, right. This is an example of the boys being, like, basic. Well, I their don't t- know. Their takes are bad. I don't know. Let's see if I have the passage. I may actually have it down. The title of Maurice Sandek's book is Where the Wild Things Are, he said, facing our group. So where exactly are the wild things? I was the first to raise my hand. Behind me, I heard someone whisper, Miss Know-It-All, and I quickly lowered my hand. But then I remembered Mr. Cobb's plan to grade on participation, so I shoved my hand in the air again. Mr. Cobb smiled vaguely at me, then scanned the room as several more hands shot up. He pointed to Randy Rademacher. Cool name. Very cool name. Yes, Randy, where are Sendak's wild things? Well... Sandak says they are a day and a night away, so I'd say they're on the other side of Max's world. The other side, huh? Mr. Cobb scratched his chin. Yeah, like a good world and a bad world, Craig Avazian, another cool name, piped up. In the good world, he's a regular kid, but in the bad, he's a wild king. I frowned. I didn't agree with Craig or Randy at all. I thought the wild things were in Max's imagination. <sighs> This is dense. Yeah. There are a lot of things that I'd like to dig into in that passage. But the first thing that I would like to dig into is that this is Mal, and I don't know if the entity is just playing in the space, but this insistence on one rigid interpretation of a text Mm -hmm. is clearly obsessing the entity here. And we've talked about the death of the author before. It's seminal sure. text, yes. and it's not an accident that the entity are obsessed with this liminal moment, uh, the moment when the rigid exigencies of an early modernist new critical approach to literature gives way to the free-for-all extravagances that kind of would eventually characterize a more postmodern approach. But that's exactly what's being discussed here in this text. Mao says, the intention of the author is the only thing that matters, right? 
Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, you've got these boys who are like, here's what I see in the text. And Mr. Cobb is saying, like, what you see is what matters, and, and it's a free flow of signifiers, and we can live in this world that's sort of after the death of the author. What were the boys' names? Rademacher? Yeah, Rademacher and Evasian. You know what Rademacher means? Uh, means a uh, bike Wheel bike maker. maker. Yeah, wheel wheel. Okay, wheel maker. Wheel is that ma- anything? I mean, we've talked about the wheel of fortune. That's Boethius. That's Bo. Oh, whoa, whoa! We're going way back. We're going way back. This is the thing about the entity is they straddle all these boundaries between past and present. Time is meaningless to the entity. I'm looking up the other boy's name. But I thought that was, while you're looking that up, Tanner, I would like to put a pin in that. I think it's interesting that the last book, the death that they cared about was the death of Amelia Freeman. And this book, the death that the entity eventually settle on as being the death that they care about is the death of the author. And they're focused on this liminal space and what happens after the death of the author. I thought that was a very interesting uh, piece of literary criticism. I have more to say on it, but it just feels kind of pointless because looking at a man who's long since stopped paying attention to what I'm saying. Baby Nation, what are you guys up to? What's going on with y'all? I realize that that's a one-sided conversation as well, but it feels to me at this moment more meaningful than the conversation I'm having with Tanner. I know that you're it's a Welsh with name. Me in spirit. Oh, he's back. Yep. Nope. Maybe not Welsh. Avasian. No one seems to know. Great. What a well. Do you want Jack to look at it? You know what it means. Well, if you break it up into its constituent parts, Ava, A-V-A, is from the Latin avis, which means bird. Bird. Avian. Right? So Avasian could in, in some ways be a lengthened version of a concept that means bird-like or from the birds. Um, what does Ave mean as in Ave Maria? It means hello. It doesn't quite mean hello in Ave Maria because that would just be like, hey, Mary. Yeah. <laughs> it means it's greetings, a, it's, Mary. It's a salutation. Yeah. Right. Ava is also the name of your sister, Tanner. Ava is the name of my sister. Um, A-V, I live on... Avenue, often abbreviated. Okay, well, we'll A V E. Bleep. Go ahead and bleep that, please. Tanner, thanks for bringing us down this. What were we talking about? Byway. I hope that it was worth you spending ten minutes looking it up while I was explaining a very interesting. Rademacher just seemed so. F- Wheelmaker, the wheelmaker and the fucking bird. These are, of course, these things are fertile. Yeah. You've got the wheelmaker on one hand, the wheel of fortune, the he who spins the loom that decides all of our fates. And on the other hand, you have a bird, the bird, which is a <laughs> portent, right? Oh, yeah. We birds are powerful in these books. Yeah. Tanner? Because of the witches. So we have that, and why do we have all of these portentous symbols? Who can say? I can say, and I will tell you. Tanner, let's look more deeply into Randy Rademacher and Craig Evasian's theory about this. Randy the Wheelmaker Rademacher and Craig the Bird Evasian. Let's look more deeply into their theory of where the wild things are. Okay. Mal is saying that the world of the wild things can only be 
in her rigid interpretation in Max's imagination. Randy and Craig, the prognosticators, the bird and the wheelmaker, are saying something else. What they are saying is that it is possible to cross over from this world into another world that is opposite mm. in every way, mm. as if through a mirror. Darkly. Darkly. <laughs> into a... I get where you're going. I get where you're dark saying. Dark timeline. Yeah. They literally say that. He says it's the bad version of our good world, and then the other one says that he travels through the dark right. to get there. Like a good and bad world, Craig Avazian piped up, in the good world, he's a regular kid, but in the bad, he's a wild king. That is a perfect description, Tanner, of the dark timeline that we are now inhabiting, which begins with Christie's worst idea. Book one of the dark timeline, a mirror and parallel of the bright timeline. Well, and this is it, it holds particularly true this week with Mal dismantling so many entrenched power systems. But I love the idea of these girls as wild kings. Wild kings. When Pete describes the dark timeline, he sees it in black and white. He's like, all right, well, they've got me right in this dark timeline now. I see it as bad. I like the old timeline so I like much. the old timeline. That was good. That one's bright. This one's dark. But the entity... But leave it to the perverted mind of the entity. They've suffered the mortification of the flesh. They've suffered the death of their mortal bodies. They don't see things in terms of black and white, in terms of light and dark. They just see things as they are. Right. And here they're like, well, this world's more wild. These girls are wild kings and queens of this world. This world's more wild, and these girls are in a position to just take over. Take over, as Mallory did this week. Claudia, right. queen of the seventh grade. Oh. We should have seen all the fucking signs. But Pete wasn't letting us I'm see I'm into it. the dark timeline now. Yeah. This is a place of power. It's a place of power. This is a place power. where our girls can become queens. I think we should think of it yes. as the wild timeline. The wild timeline. Um, yes. Tanner, may I bring up another topic with you? Yes, please. I'd like to read you a passage really quickly. Okay. And I'd like to get your input on it. Okay. I'm actually going to read you two passages, but they're both very short. Do you want my input on each, or do you want me to wait till you're done reading both? I'd like for you to wait until I'm done reading both, and then give me your input on both of them together. Collectively. Collectively. Okay. okay. Both of these passages have to do with a gentleman whose name is Justin, who shows up in this novel. I think he's, he's the, the class president. He's the class president of the sixth grade. Yep. So this first passage is Mal describing Justin. It's one sentence. Justin grinned his cutest boy in sixth grade grin. That's it. Now I've got a second passage for you. Well, Mal, Justin said, rubbing his hands together. It sounds like you have everything under control. Good work. I grinned, feeling a little color creep into my cheeks. It's always nice to hear a compliment, but... It's extra special when it comes from our class president. No, you want me to react to that? I hope that you have the same reaction that I do, Tanner. He's He's got the cutest smile in the sixth grade, and he's the class president. And he makes Mal blush when he talks to her. Tanner, what about Ben Harbat? Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. I didn't hear a fucking peep out of Ben Harbat this week. In fact, the Hobarts even make an appearance. In the Memorial Day Parade, in the Death Parade. Right. The Hobarts come. They're a part of it. 
Yeah. And Mal doesn't even say, I remember. She doesn't remember. even bother showing like, up. She's too busy dismantling the patriarchy back at school and fucking simpering at Justin. Well, we're in the dark timeline, Jack. Maybe Mal and Ben aren't an item anymore. Oh, God. Well, that is dark. I'm going to take back everything I recently said about the dark timeline just being a wild space. If Mal and Ben aren't together, what's what are we fighting for? Let's think about the dark timeline for one moment. Okay. Before we enter the dark timeline, Mal was involved with Ben Hobart. Stacy was involved with Robert Brewer. Brewdoggy. Brewster. Brewster. Yeah. Christy was involved with Bart Taylor. Mm-hmm. Bart Bashir. Right. Since we transitioned over, all three of those relationships have fallen apart. The only relationship that has maintained... Logan and Marianne. Logan and Marianne. And it was reaffirmed this week with the um, hearts and, and flowers... Oh, yeah. Logan laid it on thick. Fundraiser. Yeah. And I wonder if that's significant, A, that Logan's and Marianne's relationship is the only one who could weather the storm of coming over to the the wild timeline. Well, if you're Logan, you, you don't worry about these things. You exist in all places at once. You are legion. He, his connection to Marianne is deeper than whatever's happening here. Yeah. But all these other girls, their relationships fell apart. Yeah. This is the first time we've heard of Trevor Sanborn in forever. That used to be a frequent crush of Claudia's, but you think Claudia has a chance with Trevor Sanborn now? No, she's, she's kissing, kissing... She's kissing seventh graders. Mark Jaffe. Yeah. More than once. Hmm. Twice, they're in a relationship. Oh, can I follow up? I feel like people are going to want to know. Have you kissed Jamie a second time yet? Um, I'll keep you up. Since the episode? Not yet, but you're working on it? I'll keep you up. Is that what you're saying? Just nod if if it's not yet, but he's nodding. Yeah. Okay. All right, cool. I'll keep you up. Okay. All right. (laughs) Keep us posted. Uh, We'll wait for you, man. Yeah. On your own time. Yeah. Don't rush me. Okay. No, we're not going to. Let me do this. Okay. Let me do this in my way. Okay, good. Tanner, I would like... To since we're talking about kissing and smooching, mm. and I don't know how we've ended up back here, but uh, as I've said before, it's a subject that's near and dear to both of our hearts. Yep, kissing and smooching. I feel I like- love kissing my wife. Jack loves kissing human feet, mm-hmm. and this week we're talking about kissing and smooching. And I would like to use that, and it was going well until you derailed it, but I think I still have just <laughs> enough of it that I can kind of keep pulling on the thread. Tell me if you're familiar with this, because it may be something that you've never heard of before. It's like when you're talking about one topic, but you're doing a show that's like a professional show, and you want to talk about another topic, but instead of just kind of stopping and starting the next topic randomly, you try to do it seamlessly and make one go into the other. It's called a segue. Like the scooters? Yeah, but the scooters are named after what this is. Huh. It's like, well, think about it. Let's forget about the name. Let's forget about the name. Yeah. Okay. You know when you're talking? Yep. And you want to talk about something that's different. Yeah. And then instead of just... Hey, Jack, I want to talk about something that's different. <laughs> yeah, that's one way of doing it. There's another way of doing or, it. Yeah. Or, you know what you should do, uh-huh. Jack? Yeah. Is whatever you want to start talking about, Yeah. you have like a familiar theme song uh-huh. <laughs> and as i'm talking you yeah. just start quietly doing the theme song uh-huh. and then i'm like sorry are you, are you doing something and you're like no i don't i don't even know what you're talking about oh, i don't hear anything that's how you do it yeah okay is that your xbox <laughs> i do have an xbox is here, it yes. in that room behind you <laughs> this weird room yeah this weird room where I keep my Xbox? Yeah, is that weird room behind you? The weird room where you keep your Xbox and stuff? <laughs> yep. Can we play with your Xbox? Yep. Can I come Please in? Please step into my weird room. Cree. 
What games do you have? <laughs> I've been playing Morrowind. <laughs> Recently, I've been playing Morrowind. <laughs> well, here we are. Welcome to my weird room. Alan Gray will see you now. Mr. Gray will see you now. Welcome to our hottest news segment. Alan Gray will see you now. Baby Nation, here we are <laughs> in the weird room. Here we are in the weird room. Welcome to the weird room. We got every Xbox game. Could you just open the door? We've got every Xbox We've game. Got We've got more. It's weird. It's red. There's a bed with handcuffs on it, but that's not important. We don't use that. <laughs> yeah. What we're doing is over here by the Xbox. It's called Morrowind. We've got Morrowind. <laughs> Elder Scrolls 3. I know it's about 15 years old, but we're playing it anyway. <laughs> so strap in, literally. And let's play some Morrowind. By which I mean, what was Alan Gray up to this week? Alan Gray was up to some pretty fun and baller shit this week. He was just having fun. Yeah. You know what? Mal kept calling the sixth grade fund raiser the fun raiser. That's some entity shit. An entity, if you're still with us, I will now cash in all those compliments and make a little bit of a uh, positive <laughs> critical remark. Uh-huh. That's not that cool. That's not a good the pun. The entity no treated one... it like it's cool. There's like a section <laughs> where Mel's like, hey, y'all, I've got this like baller idea for the fundraiser that we're doing. And they're all like, what? What is it? And she's like, I'll call it the f- fundraiser. The fundraiser. And because the entity is writing all of her peers... We're like, Excelsior! (laughs) (laughs) They hoist her upon their shoulders and carry her, cheering through the halls of Stony Brook Middle School. A fundraiser? You know what they should have called it? The Hellraiser. The Garden of Eden. The Garden of Flesh. Oh, they should have called it the Hellraiser. That would have been good. They did raise hell. $2,000. $2,000. Oh, uh, $2,600 because there was a matching program. Cool. All right, let's get hung up on the numbers. Yes, she calls it the fun raiser. Yeah. One of the events on the fundraiser, she has a different booth every day in the cafeteria where they do, they sell different things to try to raise money. And mm-hmm. on day two, I believe, they do hearts and flowers. Mm-hmm. It's called the Hearts and Flowers Fundraiser. Yeah. And the point is you can come and buy valentines or flowers to send them to your crush. And the following thing happens. Alan Gray was next in line, and he ordered 10 valentines for uh, 10 of my secret admirers, he announced in a loud voice. Jamie Sperling, who is also one of the messengers, skated by me. Oh, it's worth taking a very brief pause Mm -hmm. to point out that there's an army of Cupid-like messengers for the Hearts and Flowers who are all deploying the most graceful and beautiful (laughs) transportation method known to man, the rollerblade. Yeah, endorsed by the entity. (laughs) Carry on. That's like their perfect world. That's their like they've like seen the afterlife. They are hellraisers. They've lived in a world of pleasure and pain. Yeah, and they've like they've transcended the fullest reaches of human experience and they've seen the other side. They've seen the perfect world. <laughs> and in it it's just a bunch of people skating around on rollerblades <laughs> with pins in their head. Welcome to the worst 
nightmare of all. Yeah, well, of course. Um, you can't have one without the other, Tanner. Jamie Sperling, who is also one of the messengers, skated by me and whispered, Alan's probably sending all those Valentines to himself. Quick note, Anony, it should be bladed by me. Yeah, you would say I would say bladed by me. Mm. Um, but we we don't know whether he was or not. Maybe in this dark timeline, Alan Gray has 10 secret admirers. Well, so the phrasing on that confused me for a moment. Yeah. Re- read what Alan Gray said again. Alan Gray walks up to the booth of Valentine's, theatrically turns around, grabs 10 Valentine's from their booth, hands it over to the cashier, and says in his stage voice, for 10 of my secret admirers. Now let's parse that. Oh, yeah. Because now, does he mean that he's buying that for 10 people that he secretly admires? No. Because the way he's stating that, it's that he is buying this for 10 people who secretly admire him. Yeah, that is the case. And we can set aside whether this is true or not, but the problem still stands that the thing about a secret admirer is that you don't know who they are and you don't send them valentines. Right. You don't know who admires you. I mean, you may send them a valentine, but you wouldn't send them a valentine quay secret admirer. Yeah, right. Right. You can just say because they are your secret admirer. You don't have to say Oh, you speak Latin as well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it confused me. And I think I know what the entity was going for, but I think they whiffed. They whiffed. Yeah, they just whiffed. The entity whiffed. They tried to do a joke. They were like sitting in their writer's room and they were like, What if we do a joke? <laughs> we revisited the memory garden and dwelled upon the death of Amelia Freeman. Half of them was like, That was funny. Yeah. <laughs> We've already included a joke. We talked about the memory garden. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, can't, they don't get what it would be like to not know all things at once. Right. If you lived in a world where you knew all things at once, Everything you would send is... valentines to your secret admirers because all of us as one know all things. Right. It's classic entity not being able to fully understand what it's like to be back on this corporeal plane. Can I just briefly bring up one more quick entity moment of the entity being weird? Please. It, it involves the marching band subplot. Mm-hmm. The kids started playing the tune, and Christy slowly lowered her hands from her ears. Say, that's not bad. Not bad, Abby cried. It's great. Now all we need to do is teach them to march. Marching is easy, Christy declared. You just raise your knees high and march left, right, left, right. Abby shook her head. No, it's right, left, right, left. Christy folded her arms stubbornly across her chest. It's left foot first, In all of the army marching songs, it's left, 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 right, left. Then, to everyone's amazement, Christy marched smartly in a square around the group, barking like a drill sergeant. I left my wife and 49 children to die of starvation with nothing but Johnny Cake. Left, left, (laughs) left, right, left. What? kind of marching tune is that (laughs) it doesn't follow any cadence i could parse and it's about 
this man's 49 children dying of starvation. Well, <laughs> but that's like when the entity goes to a bar yeah. in the like the liminal plane that they inhabit. Yeah. That's like the only tune. <laughs> they go it's to the like, jukebox and it's just... Yeah, they throw that at the jukebox and it's like 49 deaths. And they're like, oh yeah, let's have another one. And it's completely arrhythmic. It's rigid, arrhythmic marching music. Yeah. About 49 children dying. It's probably a howl. It's like, like this book doesn't do it justice. It's like 10,000 voices screaming it. I left my wife and 49 children to die of starvation with nothing but Johnny Cake. Now just layer that a thousand times Yeah. in one file. We'll have an approximation. Baby Nation will have just heard as close as we can get to what the hit song on the jukebox. And that's apparently what they marched to. Yeah. They, well, and also, they were all they, humming Raffy. That's also what the entity does in their bar. That's why they like this. They were like, uh, march. It, like, they go to the bar and there's not a like dance floor. It's just everyone in the bar is just marching. Just marching. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a twisted and perverted universe they live I'm in. I'm so glad to have you still with us, Jenna and Malcolm. Yeah. Through all these twists and turns. Um, Tanner, before we get the fuck out of here, I want to talk about something that has been bothering me for a number of books now. Okay. And it is related to the happy reading section. I didn't catch anything in it. I sort of glossed over it. We haven't talked about a happy reading section in a while, and I realize that there's a reason for it. She just talks about a bunch of children's books she likes. It kind of feels like Anne is checked out. <laughs> <laughs> and that's and that's why we've been glossing over it. <laughs> and that's why we, I'm not going to bore you by going back through, but it it has happened in, in a bunch of the last books. Like it'll be like Amelia Freeman died and like Anne will be like this book was about a girl who died. Girl rhymes with pearl. My grandmother had pearls. <laughs> <laughs> And and that's kind of how she's been rolling. She did it again this week. So this is a book about how Mallory confronts this patriarchal system where particularly girls feel like they're not allowed to speak up in class right. and successfully confronts it and they go on this journey. And here's what Anne says about it. In Don't Give Up, Mallory, Mallory gets to take a class in children's literature and she is very excited about it at first. I can see why. I've always loved children's books. And then she spends the rest of the happy reading section talking about how she's famous now and she met Judy Bloom and R.L. Stein. <laughs> Dan, did you read this one? <laughs> like, this would be, I mean, like, this would be a great opportunity. Like, it's not it's not hard. No. It would be a great opportunity to be like, if you feel uncomfortable speaking up in class, don't feel like that makes you stupid. Different people learn differently. No, nope. instead she goes into star fucker mode. <laughs> I met Judy She's Bloom like, once. I once I met some Madeline Langle. <laughs> How do you feel about that, idiots? <laughs> She's dead now. None of you will ever meet her. But I did. God bless you, and we love you, and we kiss you, and we would not be here without you. And rest in peace. And uh, rest in peace. Madeline Langle. Langle. Yeah. Is Madeline Langle not alive anymore? I think she died a long time ago. <laughs> Wait, that's a... That, 
That really fucks me up. Tanner Googles died September 6th, 2007. That really fucks me up, dude. In Litchfield, Connecticut. I fucking love those books. Well, wait, is R.L. Stein still with us? Oh, he's kicking. He's good. Tanner, it is fitting. Robert Lawrence Stein. Trying to do a segue. Did you know? That's his name. I taught you about them. I thought that if I taught you about segues that you would maybe learn to kind of just go with do them. Do the singing thing. <laughs> okay. It's time for me to do a segue. I am doing it now. Jack, do you hear that? <laughs> I don't know. What was it? It sounded like you were trying to do a segue. I don't understand. Now, what was your segue? I can't say what my segue was. Do you understand the concept? I can't say what my segue was. I could change topics. You're bad at segues, man. <laughs> Tanner, it is fitting that in this book about death, we end on a death. But I hope that we will be exploring the new life to come as these books and we blossom and grow in the coming episodes. But in the meantime, I believe it is time for us to get the fuck out of here i would love that by which i mean shuffle off this mortal coil i would love that because we've been recording on sundays lately and it really uh eats into my god of war time tanner thank you for being with me it was a pleasure to be here jack it was a pleasure to see your face and to hear your voice it was a pleasure to hear your face and see your voice okay baby Nation. parallel construction you'd love it i love it (laughs) baby nation Thank you for bearing with us. Also, thank you to those of you who have given us iTunes reviews and ratings. Baby Nation, it truly does help us. Not only does it help us in iTunes, Rise Through the Ranks, but if this is hypothetical, if we were talking to a merch provider to give us merch, Mm -hmm. and we were to tell them the name of our show, and they were to look it up, they would have expressed how enthusiastic and excited they are to work with us because of how many good positive reviews we have on itunes that is true baby nation everything that we have done outside of this show where we talk to people about this show whether that's joining a network or uh, talking about doing merch or figuring out how to do live shows everybody is always so impressed with the wonderful and enthusiastic reviews you have all written. So honestly, for real, I really appreciate them. And thank you for taking the time to do that. It uh, warms my heart and it makes me feel like this is worthwhile. And do keep them coming. And do keep them coming. Tanner, this week we read a book that was called Don't Give Up Mallory. Don't Give Up Mallory. Don't Give Up Mallory. Next week we're going to be reading a little book called Marianne to the rescue. Ma 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 Marianne to the rescue. Ma ma Marianne with a danger. We know that Marianne is historically someone who can save a day when there's a day that needs to get saved. So if anyone of the Babysitter's Club is going to go to the rescue, it's going to be Marianne. No surprises there. No surprises there. Looking forward to reading it. In the meantime, Baby Nation, I have been and always will be Jack Alexander Shepard. And 
<laughs> you were about to just fucking go with it, weren't you? I'm Tanner Greenring. <laughs> I'm... I thought if I baited you, <laughs> you almost got me there. You almost got me, but I managed to turn out of the skit at the last second. Look, here's what's important. This week, we have been both of those men. Mm-hmm. Please remember to round off the corners in your bedroom, drown all your dolls, call your senator, and demand your right to bear time. And do not forget to let daddy love you as much as I do. Claudia's wearing a bra now. And the way she talks, you would think the boys had just been. Do you want to do that last part again? Because it sounded like your wife um, put something in the microwave and then hit a few buttons. <laughs> And the only march Mallory's interested in participating in is the relentless march of justice. <laughs> she just did it again. She did it again? <laughs> what is she doing in there? <laughs> One more time. One more run at it. <laughs> <laughs> just, 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 just making beeps. <laughs> 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 she, she had Cyril with her? Yeah. You want to come in and say hi? Hi, Tanner. Hello, Sarah. Hi, Tanner. <laughs> hi. Hi. Hi, baby Cyril. Sorry for ruining the whole podcast. <laughs> you weren't. Cyril ruined it. Cyril ruined it. No. This week, it's Cyril's fault. <laughs> All right. I'm going to get back to it. That was a HeadGum Podcast.